Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Open communion, close communion, or closed communion. Now, you don't find any of those words necessarily in the Bible, but nonetheless, they are used in evangelicalism. So we're going to get some understanding on that. Open communion basically means that all believers, all those who have trusted Christ are welcome at the Lord's table and welcome to partake in the elements. Closed communion is the idea that some churches have that closes off communion only for their members of their specific local assembly. That would be what closed communion means if you hear that term. Close communion is similar. That would be more the idea of, well, you're the same denomination or we have some type of tie with you. And so uh, you would be then able to participate in and the Lord's Supper. An example of someone that practices close communion would be if you're from an independent Baptist church and you're vacationing in Michigan and you visit an independent Baptist church there, if they practice close communion, okay, now you can partake. Um, So that's the idea there. Closed is the most strictest. It don't matter where you go. If they happen to be doing the Lord's Supper that Sunday, you will not be partaking in it. So that's what those terms mean. The closed, this idea of closed communion, it's based on the assumption that all of the members, well, you need to be saved. And then it's based on the assumption that they're all living right, which, granted, this is my first pastorate. Granted, this is only a four year old church but i've yet to be able to figure out who's saved and who's not saved and who's living right and who isn't living right what pastor does i mean how do you what what do you pastor like one decade two decades three decades and all of a sudden you figure out oh yeah i know who's living right who's not i mean what what are they following people around it is almost an impossibility for one pastor for one man to be able to, or to even be expected to know who's really living right. Although every Bible-believing and Bible-preaching preacher will be teaching from his pulpit to live right. (laughs) That's what the goal is. That's what the ideal is. Um, So that philosophy basically uh, comes... That thinking that the pastor needs to make sure that everybody's living right and doing right. Now they have to fence that, you know, so they fence the table. And so they don't want anybody outside coming in to a local assembly because they want to fence that table. And they believe that that pastor is going to have more accountability with his members and knowing what they're doing. So they fence the table and say, anybody that's coming in from the outside. You can't participate. And the big reason they do that with closed communion really comes down to 
you could you could kind of nitpick some smaller priorities, but the big priority is church discipline. How do you know that the people that are coming in and you happen to be partaking in the Lord's Supper, how do you know that they aren't a product of being disciplined at another church or that they need to be disciplined? So we're going to start First Corinthians chapter 5 with that thought. And let's see if we can develop it. First Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse uh, verse number six. We'll start out. Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you an epistle, not the company with fornicators. So now we get into this idea of church discipline. So if you have a closed communion and it's just for the members, again, is there really any pastor that knows exactly what his members are doing? If you were meeting in somebody's living room, and it was three or four or five or six believers, you can probably make that work. <laughs> but once you get to two dozen or three dozen or four dozen or a hundred, how do you keep tabs on everybody? It's an impossible task, uh, but there is here a danger. And although we're not preaching verse by verse on 1 Corinthians 5, we're gonna look at this. It's very serious. God is telling his people, his children, not to keep company with fornicators. And then it goes on, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then he needs, he needs go out of the world. In other words, what does the world have? Fornicators, covetous, extortioners, and idolaters. Well, what you, you're not going to be able to go anywhere if you can't keep company with. That's the world, in other words. Well, can you believe the type of music that they're playing? Well, actually, yeah, I can because it's the world. <laughs> can you believe the type of language and the lewd behavior that they're involved with? Well, actually, yeah, I can because God said that's what to expect in the world. What do you think? We go to these festivals and these college campuses and these street corners and expect it to be moral? <laughs> no, we're going out there to be a light to the dark world. We know that it's full of fornicators. We know that it's full of covetous people and idolaters. That's why we're bringing them the good news of the gospel. So Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, is bringing that to light. Look, that's the world. And look what he says in verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. He shifts gears rather quickly. And you can see that very clearly from verse 10 to verse 11. The world, don't go out and correct that. You're not. This idea that you're going to clean up Hollywood, it's not a biblical idea. God said, that is what the world will produce. You know what he said to clean up 
in verse 11, brothers and sisters that are involved in that. So there's the picture of the world in verse 10, and now there's the picture very clearly of the church in verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat. Don't keep company with those people. You know why you don't keep company with a fornicator? Because you're at risk. Somebody comes in here and they're a known fornicator. The preacher is responsible. The church leaders are responsible. The men that it comes to light to are responsible to take care of that thing because you need two to tango. <laughs> and so that church, local church assembly is in danger. It's really, really hard to say, hey, be careful of the world, yet right in the church house, you got a problem. You got somebody that's worshiping idols. He's got a big Buddha statue in their backyard and is trying to have uh, some, some, uh, some, some small group studies and they want to introduce Hinduism and, and yoga and all of these things into the church. God says, look, you got to handle that or it is going to spread and it's going to be like leaven. So what do you do if someone comes into church and it comes into the church house and they're not, um, they're not saved and they're, they're a Buddhist. Well, nothing if they're not trying to try to teach you how to be a Buddhist. <laughs> and what do you do at the Lord's Supper? You say, look, this is for believers only. If you believe in worshiping trees, just sit quietly and enjoy the service as a bystander. But you cannot participate because it is an ordinance for the church and the church is made up of those believers that have been placed in his body. That's what a idolater is. A railer, that's just an insulter. And he just rails, and he just rails, and he just rails, and he just rails. You can be opinionated. <laughs> Many people are. I've been told I'm opinionated. You can have strong ideas about fanciful things. But what God doesn't want is for you to just keep railing on that one brother because that one brother just doesn't see it the way you see it. And you're just railing on him, railing on him, railing on him. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want you beating somebody up with words. Rail, 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 rail. And just insult, 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 insult. You're this, you're that, because, and then they'll just fill in their own reasoning. God doesn't want railers or a drunkard. Everybody knows what a drunkard is, right? Someone that drinks strong, intoxicating beverage, which is the devil's brew. It's... Uh, taking a sip of Satan's drink. 
it, the purpose is to help you relax. And I don't need to relax because I have the Holy Spirit. I don't need to unwind because, well, I have something better than I can ever expect for the Lord Jesus Christ living within me. And so God doesn't want someone coming in that's a drunkard. Why? Because he's going to get other people drunk. He's going to encourage you to drink. That doesn't mean we go around to people's houses and look and see what's in the refrigerator or what they got on the back porch or, uh, you know, we got to check in with them every Friday night to see if they're intoxicated or not. How do you, how do you manage that? Quite honestly, I don't know what people do on Friday night, but if it becomes known that you're drunk on the streets, we're going to have to take care of that. And it isn't fun. No preacher gets in the ministry to say, oh, oh, good. I get to do church discipline. His stomach is usually in knots the week prior and the three or four months after he has to handle a situation like that. And that feeling of wanting to throw up usually doesn't go away until it's a few months down the road. It isn't fun to do. Nobody wants to do it. An extortioner, someone that's gaining money, gaining increase by threatening. Next thing you know, you got a guy that's an extortioner. He's got you held captive out back trying to get you talked into some crazy scheme. He's going to try to threaten, get money out of you. And God doesn't want that in the church. What did verse 10 say? It's in the world. Don't touch it. You will not fix it. But in the church, he says, touch it. You better fix it. You've got to make sure you protect the body of Christ. It's Christ's body. And that's why he says, with such an one, no, not to eat. For what, I have, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do ye not? Ye judge them that are within, but them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. There's a short list, but God is serious. He doesn't want to have that influence in the church. But when I read verse number 11, notice that I left one out. If you haven't noticed it when I read the text, I'm pointing it out to you now. I left a word out. And my style is sometimes I do that, one, to see if you're paying attention, and two, to come back and draw a greater point, which is, have you ever coveted? This is a tough verse because there isn't a one of us that can't say we haven't coveted. Now, don't that make that verse tough? That makes that verse tough. The best sense I can make out of it is this. It's there. You might be a railer on your job. 
some people are paid to be a railer. <laughs> you know, you get some some hardcore uh, personal trainer, man. They'll just rail on you for 35 minutes. My first, my, my first uh, jujitsu instructor, he before before he got involved in jujitsu, he's been in the fitness industry for years. Well, he's an old, he was an ex Green Beret. So in the 80s, he would he would run Rambo aerobics. And so he'd have these people come in and basically he'd yell and shout and insult them for 45 minutes and then send them home. And he'd get paid for it. He was a professional paid railer. Got a lot of pent up frustration. It might be a business opportunity for somebody. <laughs> but you know what? God doesn't want. He doesn't want that in the church. He doesn't want that affecting the body. So if you're a covetous person, keep a lid on it. <laughs> you know, you, you can't be wearing people out because, oh, I, I, I got to have her dress. I got I just got to have your, I got to have that. I got to have, I got to have that brother's truck. Oh, I got to have that. I got to, God don't want that in the church. You don't want that attitude. And so he wants that to be taken care of. So with those sins mentioned, tell me again how a preacher is supposed to monitor that in his local assembly. Unless you're one of these preachers where you have to sit down with every one of your members for an hour every week. Uh, that would sound like Roman Catholicism to me, confessing your sins to a priest. <laughs> we can turn that back room into a confessional and everybody can come in and see Brother Jimmy every Friday. Not. <laughs> Look, I don't want to be worn out by you and you don't want to be worn out by me. Right? So you know what my job is? To tell you that, look, if you're at the Lord's Supper and you're not a believer, you cannot participate. But if you come to the Lord's Supper, matter of fact, if you come to the local assembly, I've got to say, hey, look, if you are involved in this, quit. And if it becomes known, then I've got to handle it or church leaders have to handle it or other. It's got to be handled. Somebody visits. What do you say? If you have been disciplined at a church for being a drunk, please do not participate here. How about Christians monitor themselves? How about they judge themselves? How about they examine themselves? No one preacher can ever do it. No one denomination can ever do it. Look at um, when Paul, where did he start his missionary journey from? His first missionary journey, he started from Antioch. Where did he start his second missionary journey from? He ended up back in Antioch. They sent him out again from Antioch. Kind of Antioch was his launching point, if you will. That's where they were first called Christians. We all get that, right? So if closed communion is the way to do it, then Paul would only have to be able to take communion when he's in Antioch. Go to Acts chapter 20. Look at Acts chapter number 20. Look at verse number 7. 
uh, verse number five, uh, verse number six. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas. Verse number seven. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Well, how about that? Paul, he's not in Antioch no more. You know what he's doing in Troas? He's breaking bread. He's having communion at a different local assembly. Look at verse 11. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. He's, he's, he's having communion in Troas. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. Let's get back there. Look at verse number 23. We've gone over it so much, for I have received the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord the same night which he was betrayed took bread and he gave thanks. And he's talking to these Corinthians. He's at Corinth. He's trying to help them out. He's going through what the Lord's Supper is. You know what he's doing in Corinth? He's having the Lord's Supper at Corinth, too. That's the point of what I'm trying to make. If it's just closed communion, then Paul can only have communion when he's in Antioch. But he's a believer. And he's not been churched. He has not done anything to exclude himself from fellowship. So when he goes to Troas, he can have communion. When he ends up in Corinth, Corinth he can have communion. That's what it looks like to me. I look at Galatians 2. He ends up rebuking Peter because he's separating from the Gentiles to sit with the Jews. He's dividing from them. Verse, uh, uh, verse number 11, Galatians 2, verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And he goes on, but basically he rebukes them. We saw that. Why? Because he is separating and making a distinction. And Paul says there's no room rhyme or reason for it and it rebukes him because of it in first corinthians chapter 11 look at the 18th verse what did we already talk about was the problem for first of all when you come together in the church i hear that there be divisions among you the whole problem they had was they were so divided and he's trying to help them unite. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verse number 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us 
accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We are in the beloved. We are in him. So what I'd like to submit to you is this. We should be desiring more of him. Uniting around the fact that we are in him. Church discipline is important. You cannot throw that out. And when something becomes known, it must be dealt with. And it will be dealt with. And it has been dealt with by churches throughout the ages. Local assemblies, that is. But to act like closing off communion seals the deal, and now we can make sure everybody's saved, and we can make sure everybody is dotting their I's and crossing their T's, is a bit of a far stretch. We need to set our sights on him. The idea is to commune with God and our Lord, not try to worry about who's worthy and who's not worthy or are they from our congregation well how do we know that they're are they from our or are they from their our denomination well how do we know that wasn't that the problem in Corinth I feel too many times we get too Petty, high-minded. And I feel that the idea of the Lord's Supper from all the principles that we looked at is that people would come to the Lord's table and say, I am dying of starvation for him. <laughs> the only way we'll do that is by judging ourselves. Don't expect me to. I have to examine me. You have to examine you. Are you a member of the body of Christ? Does our Holy Bible tell us that if you're a member of the body of Christ, find a local assembly and assemble with those local believers? Does he tell us to do that? That tells me very clearly. Well, is it universal church or local church? How about both? It's one body. If somebody gets excluded from fellowship here because they need to be disciplined for something that we read in 1 Corinthians 5. And they leave here. Let me ask you a question. Do they leave the body of Christ? Of course not. They've trusted Christ as their savior. They just lose the privilege of fellowshipping. And that's what the discipline's for. But look. 
and the purpose is to, to the restoration so we can get that relationship restored. But say this, it's one body, one body, multiple local assemblies. It doesn't make it more than one body. It just makes it more than one local assembly. Okay. <laughs> is God for universal church or local church? He's for both. He's for both. These people that want to say I'm a universal church. Well, okay. That's if you're trying to give yourself an out to assemble locally, you're just wrong. God wants both. And these ordinances, the Lord's Supper and, 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 it requires, by default, for people to come together. Look at verse 27 in 1 Corinthians 11. Closed communion will argue that only the local church can, dis can discern or determine someone's worthiness. And it cannot determine someone's worthiness when outsiders come in. But verse number 27 says. Um, 1 Corinthians 11. Wherefore whosoever shall eat of this bread. And drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily. Shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Remember we did the sermon on. Your manner. Matters. Their unworthiness was based upon their manners. Not their own personal merit or their own personal worth. The manner in which they were coming to the Lord's table was off. None of us in ourselves have any personal worthiness. The manner of unworthiness is when you exclude people. This is what the entire passage is about. Look at verse 21. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And Paul's rebuking them because they don't want to share. It's just about them. And one is hungry. And another is drunken. You're coming to the Lord's Supper drunk? Really? Look at verse 22. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? You know what their manners were? They were humiliating the poor people. But we're having the Lord's Supper. No, you're not. And Paul had to straighten them out and say, you don't treat the poor that way. Them that have not poor. That's completely different than someone that just is lazy and doesn't want to work and is living off the government. Okay, that's not poor. That's stealing. Who are they stealing from? You, because you work. Me, because I work. That's not poor. That's being a thief. But God's very, he was very serious about 1 Corinthians 11. Don't treat the poor like that. It's wrong. I think it's at verse 33. Uh, wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry. Yeah, tarry. 
one for another. Selfishness was being promoted in the Corinthian church. That's why Paul had to come and say, look, you got to charge for one another, receive one another, kind of chill out. Don't be so selfish. And then verse 34, if any man hunger, let him eat at home. Then you come not together into condemnation. You better not be coming just to get your belly full. You can do that at Sonic. Okay? You can do that at Burger King. You can do that at McDog Food or whatever. There's places where you can go to get your belly full. And God says, look, you better, you better not be coming to church to get a happy meal. Okay? What's your manner? 1 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> First Corinthians 12, verse number 18 is used to say that, okay, this is the verse to say or one of the verses to prove that churches should operate solely as closed communion. It just needs to be that local assembly. First Corinthians 12, verse 18 says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. And so you see, God hasn't set you as a member in this body. So it wouldn't be pleasing to him if we allowed it. I don't see that in the passage. I see the one body is we're one body in Christ. And if you look at verse number 20, and isn't, isn't the idea to commune? Around the thought, the entire idea is to commune around what the Lord did on the cross at Calvary. How come that can't just be believers? Oh, wait, it is. It should be. It should be. Look at verse 23 uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable. Upon these, we bestow more abundant honor. Those folks that you think aren't worthy enough to commune and you think they're less honorable, how about bestow more honor? Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of who? Christ. He's got to have the preeminence, not our little rules or our little fencing the table idea. And I'm not saying that to disregard church discipline. I'm for it, 100% for it. I don't ever want to have to do it. I mean, if that was my goal, I think I'd have some serious problems. I, mean, I just can't wait to let somebody have it. Good night. You're not part of the local assembly, so you can't participate. If you had, who has somebody over and you say, well, we're, 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 I, I know we had you over, but you're not part of this family, so we're going to eat. And you you sit over there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we should try that. We're, we're closed. We're closed. Us. We're closed. Uh, evening supper. You know, invite somebody over and have a good time, you know, work up their appetite. And then say, uh, well, we're going to have dinner now. You just. Nobody does that. 
we had a guy come over. He was doing some handyman work at our, at our house today. And uh, wife's making breakfast, and he's getting there. And so she's, she's making uh, some eggs and, and, and all that. And uh, so she says, uh, hey, you want some breakfast? Why? Because it's in our house, and it's a Christian thing to do. It'd be rather insulting if she said, we're having breakfast right now. And you're not really part of our family, so you just go ahead and swing the hammer. That would be rude. Who would say that? And they have been rebuked for dividing over all the things that we've preached over the last so many weeks and brought up tonight. And now we're going to come together as one body and now we're going to divide again. Good night. It's one thing we can't fight about. <laughs> We can fight about end times. We can fight about, well, you should, well I think you should, um, you know, I, I don't think you should street preach. And you think you should street preach. We can fight over music. And you think this music is good and this music is bad. We can fight over doctrine. We come together with the Lord's Supper. It's just one thing. He says one thing. My death. On the cross to regenerate your soul. It's one thing that we can't divide over. Yet people come up with all these ways to try to force the division. We go out and we preach the gospel and we'll say, well, the people over here will we'll give the gospel to. And the ones over here, well, we won't give it to them. Who does that? That's not what we do. It's no limits. Whoever's in front of us, we count it a blessing and we're going to try to get the gospel out to them. It doesn't matter what their religion is. Well, I, I, I heard that man was a Buddhist. We shouldn't tell him about Jesus. Quite the opposite. We can't wait to talk to him about Jesus. Well, did you hear what denomination they're from? No, but who cares? Let's go talk to them about Jesus. We don't care what race they are. There's no dividing line on it. It's to all. And then when we're placed into the body of Christ, the one thing that saved their soul was they believed the gospel. And the Lord's Supper is the one doctrine. Christ died for our sins, paid our sin debt on the cross. And we, and we just flip it. We say, well, let's try to figure out a way to, to divide it out. One more verse. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 13. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. The table ain't your table. The table is not a denominational table. The table is not the pastor's table. The table is not the deacon board's table. The table is the Lord's table. And all those that are truly of the Lord and have not been excluded for any biblical reason from church fellowship, 
should be allowed to participate. People will say, well, you're downplaying church membership and you're downplaying local unity and you're downplaying church discipline, but I'm not. I'm up playing Christ and getting our eyes on Christ and pleading every day, if not every day, at least at the Lord's Supper, die of starvation. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.